Welcome back to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode because in today's episode we have yet another interview. Today I have with me Dr. Blankenship and Mr. Robertson from the Kentucky College of Optometry. Dr. Blankenship received her PharmD degree from the Appalachian College of Pharmacy. She teaches the Ocular Pharmacology, Pharmacology 1 and 2, and the Physical Diagnosis and Neurological Assessment course to optometry students. She's also part of the faculty that teaches the optometry board review course that helps students study for their national board exams. She's also heavily involved in the admissions interview and review process, so that might help you in your coming interview with the Kentucky College of Optometry. We also have with us today Mr. David Robertson. He's the senior coordinator for Kaiko Admissions and Recruitment, and he'll give us a little bit of insight of what they look at when they're reviewing applicants. So I hope you answer some of the questions you might have. So let's drive into this episode. Okay, so I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves and then we'll get right into questions. My name is David Robertson. I am the Senior Coordinator for Kaiko Admissions and Medical Recruitment here. I've graduated from UPike. Um, I've been in Pikeville, Kentucky now for eight years. Um, I've been working in admissions now for three years. Um, I just started working with um, optometry July 1st. So everything is uh, new to me. Some, some of it is new to me, um, but definitely, you know, learning as we go. <clears throat> um, Dr. Amanda Blankenship. I'm a PharmD. I actually graduated from undergrad at University of Pikeville. When I graduated from here, it was Pikeville College. <laughs> Things have changed significantly, but still, still the same wonderful, wonderful, beautiful place and people here. I teach pharmacology at Kaiko and Kaikom, which is our optometry school and medical school. It is a pleasure to be here, and I thank Karen for having us both. All right. Thank you guys for coming on to this episode. So I guess we should start with just giving the listeners just an overview of the Kaiko program, and then you can dive into, you know, how the didactics and clinical curriculum kind of intertwines together. Um, when do students start seeing patients? How are they involved in um, all of that? So take it away. I can take that. First and second year are your basic science classes and building those clinical skills. In fact, you talked about when your students actually see patients, that's usually around the second year. They do school screenings and um, they work in other screening areas for our athletes. We actually do, um, pre-COVID, our athletes would come in and our students would do screenings. We have a research program that also works with our athletes. As far as head injuries, the concussions, that used to be a big deal. So we had basic screenings there for some of our research. Our third year clinical internship, they have still some of the didactic, they have the classroom, but they then spend one day in a clinic it's more specialty care and it's to get them ready for their boards as well as their clinicals, building their clinical skills. And then their fourth year is predominantly clinicals. They'll travel and go different places doing their clinicals. Right. So um, I think you've touched on this briefly um, with the um, athlete screenings and the vision screenings that the students do in their time. Um, at Kaiko. So what are other ways that optometry students are involved on campus when they're not in class, whether that being optometry related um, or any other um, involvement opportunities that um, University of Pikeville offer their students? 
if David's okay, I can take that one first. And then uh, we have clubs like the Vosh Club, FCO, Fellowship of Christian Optometrist. We mentioned the sports vision earlier, private practice club. They do service projects and I can elaborate on that a little later if you'd like to talk about the service projects. And David, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I think uh, UPIKE as a whole does a lot of events and activities to where they invite students, you know, graduate students and undergrads to come out and participate. Probably not as much now with COVID, um, but also I think a lot of times, you know, when our students aren't in class, they are also studying, you know what I mean? So you can find them around uh, campus, you know, during their downtime studying. Um, our students have 24-7 access to the building um, and some classes as well so you know they're welcome here all the time so um if they're not in class i think a lot of time i see them in the lounge or you know just kind of hanging out but also in the uh, virtual simulation lab and things like that just getting some extra work in. <clears throat> awesome so um you guys have talked about um you know the clubs and the different amenities that kaiko offer their students so in your uh, point of view or opinion what makes kaiko different from other programs and now is you know a good time to mention anything that you guys do different or things that you offer your students that you think um, are great attractions to the school i would say what make one 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 reason that i think what uh, make Kaiko different than other programs is, you know, we're able to practice the full scope of optometry here in Kentucky. Um, you know, we're able to do laser procedures, you know, students are able to be taught with hands-on experience with laser procedures and minor surgical procedures. Um, and I think that gives students a, an advantage uh, when they graduate and things. I, I believe practice makes perfect. Um, and, you know, I think if you're, at, you're getting hands-on experience and things like that, I think it makes you a whole lot better. Um, but also, I just think, you know, in the area that we're in, it's a small town, it's rural. Um, I think uh, students get a diverse uh, patient population. Um, and I think that stands out as well with Kaiko. <clears throat> Uh, added to that, you know, he talked, David graciously mentioned their expanded scope of practice. Also, I want to bring to the forefront to that practice community clinic model that we use. Our students are participating in their clinics, uh, clinicals through federally qualified health clinics plus hospital and private practices, which is something that's a bit unique for our patients to be able. And just like Dave was talking about, where we are this rural community, the air students are introduced to things that in patient disease states that sometimes they only read about in other institutions. Also, we have other opportunities, like we talked about the servants opportunities, other organizations here that put on clinics called RAM clinics, remote area medical. There are underserved areas where patients and uh, our fellow community members aren't able to have healthcare. And optometry is definitely one of those areas. So these clinics come together and it's driving distance. We can participate in at least three that are driving distance and they see patients that otherwise don't receive health care. Now, these patients will come to these remote area area clinics called RAM. They'll be there Friday night and sleep in sleeping bags on the sidewalk waiting because it's first come first serve to see doctors. Now, it's a, an interprofessional organization, so there'll be optometrists there, including 
year students um, or upper level students. Sometimes first years do participate. So they get a little exposed. The RAM clinics enable us to do that, uh, as well as dentists, medical professionals like uh, doctors and our pharmacists all come together there and help these patients in our underserved area. Now, we also, through some of the clubs that we mentioned earlier, you asked what extracurricularly, through those clubs, we also have service opportunities where they can travel abroad. Um, so th that's wonderful too, also servicing underserved. We also have a leadership program that teaches leadership skills to our students, how to be involved in your community and associations. It also works with the history of, of optometry. And we have an interprofessional education course and event that encourages working together with other professions that improve our patient outcomes. And that's just to mention a few we have um, uh, for our uh, tutoring programs that are provided for free here for our students that sets it apart than other programs and those are available those are mentoring from other students and I think David talked about our community our professors here have open door policy our students are able to come at all hours and talk to us they schedule but also if they want to just pop in it's like a family here that makes it a little different uh, I'm actually Sunday night we have an exam on Monday coming up a block exam and because of that I gave a quiz on Friday and some of our students look like they may not be sitting uh, too pretty for that exam therefore I'm having a zoom Sunday night at six o'clock after they stayed this weekend if they have any questions and it's that kind of openness and willing to just be there for our students is extremely supportive and loving here we know each other's names we are um, just familiar with what's going on in their lives and especially in this kind of time where things are more virtual we were trying extra hard here at UPAC to make that connection with our students to assist them not only academically but also in other areas as well just to support them and love on them. That is awesome. Um, I guess the next question just to bounce off of that so you cannot research Kaiko or look at Kaiko and not hear about the Kaiko Advantage. So what exactly is the Kaiko Advantage for those who may not know what um, that actually means? Yeah. So the Kaiko Advantage is a uh, student advantage program. We normally bring in about 60 to 64 students each year. Um, and what that does, it brings every student in on the same playing field. All right. So um, it's a package that is worth about fifteen or $16,000, all right? And it's not a scholarship, but in its own way, it is a scholarship, if you think of it that way. <clears throat> so what it is, it's a package that includes um, a laptop, um, you get electronic books on your laptop already, um, you get your white coat, you get sets of scrubs, you get optometric equipment, um, you get some of your dues paid for as far as the board exams and KMK, uh, KMK. Um, but it just brings everybody in on the same playing field. So for instance, if you and I were going to optometry school, you know, I might be able to afford books, you might not be able to, or vice versa, you might be able to afford the optometric equipment, I might not be able to. So what it does, it just brings everybody in on the same playing field, it relieves that stress, you know, because you, optometry school is a pretty much an eight to five job, um, and it'll be really hard to get a part-time job to try to pay for those books next semester, or try to cover that next semester. So. 
you get this all four years, you get to keep it. It's not like it's out on loan. You get to keep it after you graduate and things like that. So um, it's a great deal. Um, I think our students love it. We actually did a survey this year um, with our current students to ask, you know, what could we do with the Keiko Advantage to make it better? Uh, could we get rid of it and try to, you know, add more scholarship money? And our students were like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? They love it. They love it. So um, it's a it's a big deal here. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't like free stuff, right? <laughs> um, so you guys have mentioned this um, kind of prematurely, but what is the Pikeville patient population like? What kind of um, disease and ocular conditions that patient, I mean, that patients come in with and then students are exposed to and trained on um, that they may not uh, be exposed to in other parts of the country? In Pike County, we're in the Appalachian region. So again, we talked about before the underserved area. Uh, therefore, you're gonna see disease states from across the board. There's diabetes, thyroid disorders, uh, even Marfan syndrome. We have um, dyslipidemia, obviously, because you know uh, heart failure, uh, congestive heart failure, chronic heart failure, chronic kidney disease, you name it, <laughs> air patients, which is unfortunate for air patients. However, on the flip side, air students, all of the things that can go along. I heard Dr. Kinger is one of our professors here, and she, she always says, eyeballs are not two balls on a stick. They are connected throughout the body. So what happens in that body affects our, our eyes. And therefore, all of these disease states are going to affect microvascularly, of course, in different ways. And then we're talking about pharmacology. The medicines that they take because of these comorbidities uh, affect also their ocular status. So they're going to see all of these in every arena. And advanced, because a lot of our patients here, because they don't have the health care, they don't get out. A lot of them don't even have transportation, not, not to mention not having access to health care or the ability to pay for that health care. This causes problems. So it's also these diseases that have advanced without any kind of health care uh, monitoring that disease state. Awesome. So Dr. Blankenship, I know that you also teach an optometry boards review course. Um, so this kind of ties into that question and also the KMK um, part of the KAIKO Advantage program. How do you prepare your students for the national boards? Um, all three parts. <laughs> Oh, that's a great, yeah, go ahead, David, you go and then I'll take I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how we do block exams. I think that helps prepare for board exams. And of course, Dr. Blankenship will probably have a little bit more details as far as how we for students. But um, the block exams help students, you know, coming in your first year, your first and second year, um, you're going to be doing block exams. And what block exams are um, for us, we have four block exams each semester, um, and it's off the four previous weeks uh, of that month. Um, and so it just builds up on material. Um, but instead of, you know, taking a uh, physics exam and then having a biochem exam and then having another exam, it's all, it's all gonna be on one test. You know, that's how the board exams are. So we're trying to prepare you for that. Um, so instead of you walking into a test and not knowing exactly what's going on, but you know that it's gonna be randomized, you know that it's gonna be hours long, 
And so you're going to be preparing for that, you know, four years before you start taking the, those board exams or three years before you start taking the board exams. But um, I think it does a, a good job for our students preparing them that way because they kind of go ahead and get a feel of how they exam. David's spot on. The block exam, I really appreciate him and how he articulated that. He is definitely spot on. And, and you mentioned earlier, Karen, about the KMK. We actually, not this weekend, but the next, we begin our Saturday, Sunday KMK comes here. Uh, this year's going to, this semester, it's virtual. Hopefully it can be live again next semester. Typically it's live and our students are invited to come as they talk to and tutor and teach uh, board prep. Now we also have a class, which you also just so impressively alluded to. Thank you very much. We do have a class here for board review, and I do teach the farm part portion of that, Ocular Farm, Farm 1 and Farm 2. But we also have other professors that we've looked at the schematics for the boards, and we sit down with our students. And added to that, something new we started, we're always trying to evolve. We accept, we, we, we want excellence for our students, and therefore we also try to personify excellence ourselves. So we're always looking at ways to improve. We have new faculty members that have recently set for the boards and therefore they're meeting with their students and talking with them about not what was on the exam, of course, but different techniques and different study guides that they used, things that can kind of be helpful, just little pearls for what they did and what worked for them, the expectation and, and how that all works, just their personal experiences to help our students along in that way as well. Yeah, I think most standardized tests, it's how you sit for it. So with the block exam and then, you know, speaking with people that previously sat for the exam is really, really helpful. Um, the next segment here, you know, again, failure is never anticipated. No one goes into optometry school wanting to fail, but it is bound to happen. It might happen, you know, maybe you've had a bad weekend leading up to your block exam. So what is the remediation process like at Kaiko if that were to happen to um, one of the students? It will. Remediation is kind of tricky because not everyone who fails actually is made mandatorily. And, and so what happened the start originally, we take our statistics from our boards and we look at that and we compare how our students performed academically within their coursework and how they performed on the board. And what we found is that students academic performance actually reflected how they performed on the board. And, and we value that academic performance now because we know what we're doing in the classroom is working. Therefore, we have increased our academic standards to instead of 70 being passing right now, currently it's 73. And when those students either perform just taking the first example between 70 and 73 or even below that, we have a committee here that looks at that and we have a student academic affairs that also warms up to that student and we also our faculty warms up if you want to slides up and talks to that student so the student is it's not just about remediation and failing it's much more than that and we don't look at the number we're going to look at the student and therefore between our student affairs our, our faculty and our committee we're going to review all this process and then the committee looks at that student and they talk to the student and so we figure out what's going on and then there goes the step 
if finally, which is your exact question, is remediation. It's, it's not something else that, that needs to be done for this student, but it's just an exact remediation. The individual faculty member will uh, review the student's performance, and then they will, uh, with supervision, not actually supervision, they'll design a remediation plan, and of course that's approved, and then the student will implement that remediation. And we're depending on what class, of course, needs to be remediated. I can give uh, pharmacy, uh, uh, or pharmacy classes as an example. Mine is going to be a test. Now that test isn't just multiple choice. It's going to review very high yield points and focus on where that student had need. And it's also going to be fill in the bank and discussion. I want to make sure that that student gets what that student needs to be able to move forward and pass that forward and be a, an excellent uh, leader in the field of optometry. That's very interesting. So their remediation exams are personalized based on their weak points. Does that, did I get that right? Now for my class, it is. I can't speak to the others because remember these, uh, the faculty member, the director of the course is going to design that remediation process. And your clinical remediations are going to look differently than, of course, your pharmacology. So they shouldn't look the same. Uh, they, they definitely shouldn't because it's different expectations, different objectives. So therefore, they, they really shouldn't look exactly the same. And every student is different. So for me, every student looks different, even in farm. So my remediation may be a little different from student to student. And I can't say that for each, each, each director of each course, how their remediation works, because I don't actually do their remediation. I know mine's gonna look completely different than Dr. Kinzer's in her clinicals, because those remediation objectives are different than my objectives. Gotcha. Okay, so we've talked about the program and what it looks like once you're in the program, but what are you looking for in an applicant? So let's say um, a listener is really interested in the program and they're excited about applying. What are you looking for in an applicant or what makes them competitive to either get an interview or ultimately get a seat in the uh, KAIKO program? All right, good deal. Um, so what we look for in, in an applicant, in an applicant, we always tell them, you know, an average, right? So uh, we go off the previous year's class averages. Um, so for the class of 2024, they had an OAT average of 300. Um, so what we tell applicants, you know, get close as you can to that 300 range. Um, sometimes if you're, you know, 290, that's close enough. Definitely, of course, anything higher than that, you want to make yourself stand out more. Um, when it comes to the GB, GPA, um, the class of 2024 had a GPA range of a 3.3. Um, so we tell applicants, you know, you get 3.0 in that 3.0 range, definitely anything better than that, you're gonna make yourself stand out. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, letters of recommendation, certain things like that, we only require two, um, but OptomCast will allow students or applicants to submit up to four. Um, you know, we require one coming from an optometrist or a medical profession. Uh, we definitely encourage it to come from an optometrist. Um, and then we need one coming from an, an advisor, a professor, you know, or something like that. Um, but of course, you know, you want to make yourself stand out, get two more uh, recommendation letters, you know, do, do, do more. You know, you don't ever want to just be complacent with just submitting two. Um, so do more. Um, we look at, I know our uh, interviewers, they look at the, uh, the letters of recommendation, the resumes, the personal statements and things like that. So that's really encouraged to do. 
Um, but also we have prerequisites that uh, students have to complete before they can interview or, I mean, they can interview with having, uh, you know, being in, in the classes, but they definitely need to finish those prerequisites before they can matriculate. Um, but the prerequisites will be general physics with lab, um, English, inorganic or general chemistry with the lab, um, organic chemistry with the lab, calculus or college mathematics, um, biology or with the lab and then uh, psychology. Um, so as far as that goes, I mean, applicants can look, can look different from how they look on paper, you know what I mean? So we tell students all the time, you come in, you have, if you get the interview, you want to be able to talk about, you know, what's, what's on your application, you want to be able to, you know, advocate for yourself. Um, so that's pretty much what we look at um, as far as, you know, getting, getting in an interview. Um, I'm pretty sure Dr. Blankenship can probably touch on what we look at as far as, you know, students, as far as, you know, certain things. <laughs> David did, no, David did excellent, David. I just wanted to add, you know, service is important. Our mission statement for our school emphasizes the importance of mission and serving the underserved. Therefore, we do look for that in our applications because it's something we're passionate about. And leadership leadership skills because again not only do we expect it from ourselves excellence and leadership we also expect that and, and desire to see that in our future students added to that compassion well-roundedness and a link to to other people because that's what we're all about we're very patient-centered and we're about helping people not just the underserved but all people and just like david said the interview is important you know looking good on paper is one thing but actually being passionate and expecting these things from yourself is also something we really like to see we want to foster uh, students that are going to make a positive difference in this world through our own actions as trying to make a positive difference in their lives as well as our community and then extend it on out to the world. Awesome. So um, Dr. Blankenship, you um, may have an answer to this as well. So can you get an interview without taking the OAT or with scores that may seem too low? I could possibly answer this one. Um, you can't get an interview without having an OAT. We like to see the OAT first. Um, there's chances that you possibly could get an interview with the low score. Um, we definitely like to look at things. I think if you had a lower score, we like to see what the GPA is. You know, I think sometimes the GPA can outweigh it. Sometimes the OAT can outweigh the GPA. Um, but we definitely look at it. Um, we don't take any applicant and just be like, no, throw them in the trash or anything like that. We were fortunate enough that students want to apply for us. So if you if a student did have a low score, one thing that I do is I try to reach out to them and kind of let them know where they stand um, and kind of talk with them, see what, you know, see what else we could do is possibly getting the scores up, taking another OAT, um, and just see where they are in that process. You know, I think one, if you talk with the student, you can kind of get a feel on if they're really interested in coming to Kaiko. Um, and certain things like that, and we can go from there. But um, we definitely need an OAT score. Um, you get close to that 300 range, we can work with you um, and go from there, but we definitely need to see the OAT score. <clears throat> Sounds good. What are the other, uh, you know, the other exams that we also take are the MCAT and... Sure, yep. Oh yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, so uh, if, if you don't have an OAT score, we definitely um, can, uh, 
you know, convert another uh, test. So we take the MCAT, we take the DAT, we take the PCAT. We, the only test that we don't accept is the GRE. Um, and we just feel like there's not enough science on the GRE. Um, and of course, you know, optometry school is full of science. So um, we do accept those other tests. What we'll do is convert it. So if you got like a three, or if you got a 502 on the uh, MCAT, we'll convert it. That actually equals a 300 on the OAT. Um, so you can submit those other test scores. I know that the OAT is probably the highest test score out there or the highest test out there um, to pay for. Um, so definitely if you have MCAT or any other, those, any other test option, uh, just email it to me. And what we'll do, like I said, we'll convert it and I can upload it on my end for you. Awesome. So um, you've mentioned that, you know, you can have a great application, everything looks good on paper, but you may not have a great experience interviewing. So how can you make sure that you're well prepared for your Kaiko interview and how you can make a lasting impression on your interviewers? I think one thing that I like to do for our interviewees um, is I send them a confirmation email and I attach a brochure to that. Um, also a video as well. I like to just make sure that they have enough information about Kaiko and know a little bit about Kaiko. Um, but also I think they should do their own research as well. Um, you know, our, our uh, interviews are open file interviews. So they pretty much just go off your application on certain things. But I think if you're, if you're, if you can advocate for yourself, if you can tell your story, I think you'll have a good chance. You know what I mean? I'm not telling you to be cocky or anything like that, but definitely go into it and, you know, just be able to sell yourself. And um, I think it'll give you a better chance. Um, I'm not sure, if, you know, what else you could possibly do, but I think, you know, having some interview experience like job experience and certain things could help. Um, but also I get on the interview calls since everything is virtual these days. I get on there about 10 to 15 minutes early before the interview starts. And I encourage students to do that as well. So I can kind of talk with them, ease their minds, um, ease the nerves a little bit. Um, I'm not sure exactly if I can go into details about certain questions or things like that. But, um, you know, I just tell them, you know, ease their mind about certain things and just talk with them. Um, you know, we have Q&A calls. Some of them uh, get on those Q&A calls before the interview. So they learn a lot about Kaiko before the interview even uh, happens. Um, some of them, you know, reach out to professors, some of them reach out to some of our current Kaiko students, you know, some of them possibly know some of them. Um, but I, like I said, I think if you just come in, if you, you know, advocate for yourself, um, I think it'll give you a strong chance of uh, being selected to, or being accepted into Kaiko. And I really like what David said about research. You know, some of the best answers that really impressed me personally is the fact that, you know, they knew about Kaiko. They knew what they were interviewing for. They knew to whom they were interviewing. They understood about the school. They, they knew what they wanted. Plus, I think shadowing is important and some experience. Having some of that optometry experience is also enlightening, knowing the difference between optometry and, and ophthalmology. Knowing the profession and what you're interviewing for is also important. And we appreciate that. We appreciate having done that research. We appreciate uh, what they know about CACO. We appreciate what they know about the profession. And lastly, be genuine and honest. Just be yourself. You know, that's the best person to be. Be comfortable and be yourself.
believe it or not, we can really tell on these virtual, you know, even if we're not face to face, it really shows on camera if you're not being yourself and genuine and things like that. So yeah, just be yourself. Awesome. Hopefully um, people that have interviews soon um, have, you know, that eased their minds just a little bit. So what comes after the interview? So you interview and what exactly goes into the applicant review process? Um, so after they you know, log off the call or they leave the interview room, um, how do you go about you know, making a decision whether to like, put them on a waiting list, give them a, a seat or just send them on their way? Yeah, so uh, in Dr. Blankenship, you can add to anything, you know, but of course, so what we do, we, and I'm not sure, you know, like I said, this is my first year uh, recruiting for the optometry school here and of course with COVID and everything uh, you know we can't have students here face to face and things like that and so we're doing everything virtual and I've, right now we meet with the uh, admissions committee weekly um, and sometimes it's two weeks just depending on you know how many interviews we're doing at that time um, but we meet with the admissions committee um, weekly um, we get together it's about um, five or six of us which I don't have any say so in it or anything like that but um, we them. We go over each applicant. Um, we have, when we do these uh, interviews, our interviewers are taking notes. Um, so when we go back to the committee, we have notes and be able to talk about, you know, this was said, this was what um, this applicant did, um, you know, this is what this applicant did really well and certain things like that. And we just talk about, you know, their interview. Um, we talk about, you know, their scores. We talk about their GPA. We talk about their application. Um, we talk about, you know, um, everything. We don't leave anything out. We try to make sure that, you know, if something did stand out, we try to bring it up. Um, and then after that, what, what happens is I then later gather all the results and go meet with the dean. Um, well, first I come back to my office and gather all the material that he needs for, for me to meet with him. Um, and then I go meet with the dean. We talk about certain things about the, what, what happened in the committee meeting. He, uh, he asked me certain questions as well. Um, and then he'll make his calls. So he likes to make the calls. Dr. Uh, B, Dr. Bachelupe is very, very involved. I love him. I love to have conversations with him. He's a good guy. He's an uh, advocate for optometry. Um, but he loves to make the calls. And I think it, it uh, makes students excited. I know, Karen, you probably received a call from Dr. B as well um, during your process. But he loves to call students. Um, and so he makes the call first. And then what I'll do is I'll follow up with a call or an email and just, you know, one, congratulate them on their acceptance and then kind of talk with them a little bit. Um, but then after that, um, the students then have 30 days to make their first um, deposit. So we have a $1,000 deposit. Um, once I send out that deposit email, we then do the 30 days from then. Um, and I try to make I try to make it fall on a Friday. I know everybody don't get paid on a Friday and things like that, but I try to make it fall on a Friday. Um, so you have 30 days to make the $500 deposit. And then after that, you have until March 31st to make the other half of your deposit. Um, so like I said, we bring in 60, 60 to 64 students. We have uh, rolling admissions. Um, so once the seats fill up, you know, it's hard to, you know, hold that seat or anything like that. But, um, <clears throat> but after that process, we then send them their onboarding package once they make the first 500 deposit. Um, and then in that onboarding package, you'll have, you know, certain immunization shots and things like that. Um, basically, their next steps, what they need to do before they matriculate in the fall. Um, we then send them a package that has a list of renters. Um, we don't have graduate dorm rooms here. 
Um, but in the community, we have about 65 different people on the spreadsheet that only want to rent to our graduate students. So like Dr. Blankenship mentioned, we have osteopathic and also optometry here. And, you know, they only want to rent to them because they know that they're not here to party and tear the place up. They're really they're here to focus. Um, and, and to be honest, like when I was reaching out, uh, looking for an apartment, I reached out to somebody on that list and they didn't even want to rent to me. And I work here. I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, I work here. But um, they, they really only want to rent to our graduate students. Um, but we send that onboarding package, you know, we add you to our uh, Connecto 2025 Facebook page where you can meet other students that are uh, decided to attend. Um, and then I know I just try to stay in touch with them, stay in the loop with them, talk with them every so often. I try not to bug them too much, but I think it helps to just kind of stay in communication with them. And, uh, you know, I invite them for campus tours. You know, we are open and available for campus tours. Um, normally on an interview day, you come here, you get the interview, of course, you get a campus tour and dinner in the evening. Um, but of course, with COVID, you know, we're not able to do that. But um, that's pretty much how the process goes after they have an interview. So we are finally to our last question. You guys were delightful guests. I'm so happy that we were able to do this meeting. Um, so just from each of you, what would be one piece of advice that you'd give to prospective students interested in attending KAIKO? Just in a few short words, what would your advice be to them? Contact David. <laughs> Definitely. I said, contact you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> he is at admissions office. He, he personifies that. He's just open, honest, and he, very student-centered, wants to support, give advice, and extremely helpful, very professional. There aren't enough positive words that I can use to describe all of our admissions staff and David included the things that they do. They work extra. We have, I've talked to him at 10 o'clock at night about interviews, things that is going on. Yeah. He cares that much. We all care that much. And yeah. This is what well, he does and he's very good at it. I know he was very humble in saying that he just started, but he works at it constantly. He's not a person you would think has not been at it for a while. He, he's really good and he knows his stuff. As far as other advice, again, I want to echo that. Be yourself. Be genuine and continue to work hard. That work ethic will shine through. Do your research. Know for sure this is what you want to do and then go for it. Don't give half an effort. Give the full effort. And lastly, you pack Kako. I'm just going to toot our horn. Honestly, we are the best school you could ever apply to or attend. And that is honest. You can take it to the bank. <laughs> So, I, I, again, I can't say enough good things about our staff, our faculty, our dean. We are all about the students, and we care, and we love you, and we love the profession, and we want you to succeed, and we want our profession to be just recognized and just the top profession for you. Well, thank you, Dr. Blankenship, for the kind <laughs> words, of course. If you haven't been able to get you know, a feel from Dr. Blankenship with her talking during this time. She is an excellent professor. Um, she's a great person. Um, she's a great mother um, and wife. <laughs> um, so she's just all around excellent. And she cares about our students as well. Um, as she mentioned, she does things for her students um, as far as, you know, studying and study guides and test prep and things like that. One thing that I could uh, 
you know, speak on. And this, this is not just for Kaiko. I think this is for any school that you decide to go to or want to go to is go on campus tours. Um, you, you can't get a feel of the school if you don't go visit. <clears throat> you know what I mean? I mean, some students probably pick a school blindly, but I wouldn't. I would definitely go check the tour the school out, um, you know, meet with professors, see if you can meet with some students, um, meet with deans, um, you know, definitely meet with the students if you can, but definitely go check out the schools. You don't want to go to an area. This is four years of your life. Um, this is your career you're talking about. So it's a big decision. You have to go check out the school. You got to go see if it's the right fit for you. Um, you know, like I tell students all the time, don't put all your eggs in one basket. <clears throat> you want to have, you know, different options and be able to pick and choose. You want to be able to turn down schools. You know what I mean? Just like how you want to be able to turn down a job, right? So definitely go out and uh, tour the school that you want to go to and uh, see which one fits you the best. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Dr. Blankenship and uh, Mr. Robertson for your time. No problem thank at all. You thank for you for having you. us. Oh, thank you. Yes, I agree. So that is it for this week's episode. Again, I would like to thank Dr. Blankenship and Mr. Robertson for taking the time to join me today. And I hope you were able to answer all of your questions about the program. I hope you found this informative and make sure to tune in next week for a brand new episode. And as always, we will be keeping it OD.